time in, in the ancient world of, of Judea, it was a place of suffering. They were under oppression from the Romans. They, um, the, the Jewish people, the people of Israel were being hard pushed on so many different sides. And this was a place where, where suffering was part of everyday life. And in this place, they were waiting. They kept crying out, and so many of them, not just Anna and Simeon, but they were crying out for a Messiah to come. And it appears when we read these scriptures and we read these accounts of, of what Simeon and Anna both said after they met Jesus, it appears that God's anointed Redeemer was going to come and deal with suffering, this very suffering, but not how they were expecting him to, but by sharing in the suffering in, in himself. We find Simeon speaks dark words almost about Jesus' experience, opposition, and about a sword that will pierce Mary's heart as well. And you see, this is what happens when the kingdom of God confronts the kingdom of this world. We see this all through Jesus' life as his life and his ministry unfolds. As the prophecies around his birth and many years before the prophecies before his birth come true. Mary will look on in dismay later on. 33 years later, as her son is rejected by the very city that he offered peace to. And he will eventually be rejected by the very people he came to rescue. And you know, maybe in this moment, in this moment of Mary and Joseph bringing their baby to the temple to give thanks for him, to have him blessed, I'm sure these were not the words Mary wanted to hear. You know, who wants to hear that a sword is going to pierce your heart? You know, who, who wants to hear those words? But I am pretty sure that they were a source of strength to her in the future. As Jesus' life began to unfold, she would remember those words. She would remember those moments in the temple. And this little baby Jesus, he was born for all the people. He was born for all the people. Um, whoever has watched the really irreverent film, Talladega Nights, only me and Jason, that's terrible. And there, James thinks. <laughs> right? Not telling you should watch it, but there's this really funny bit where they're praying in it. And this one guy, they're, they're trying to say grace. They're having grace around the table. And there's these two racing drivers. And they and the one of them, he's just like, he starts talking about the baby. The, he starts praying to the baby Jesus. And the other guy, he says, you can't pray to the baby Jesus because he's now an adult. And all this here whole thing breaks out. Anyway, you can find that wee clip on YouTube. It's very funny. Sorry. But... I was reminded of that just there now, of the baby Jesus. So the baby Jesus is born, but he is born not to stay as a, as a baby, but to become this man of incredible destiny, to become this, the savior of the whole universe, but not just the Messiah that Israel was hoping for, but the Messiah for everyone. Um, chapter 2, verse 10 says, to bring good news that will cause great joy for all the people. For my eyes have seen your salvation, in verse 31, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light and a revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus came for the insiders and the outsiders, the seekers and the non-interested, those waiting and those completely oblivious that there was anything to wait for at all. God rewarded Simeon and Anna graciously for devotion and faith and waiting for the Messiah. What a reward. 
for Simeon and Anna. We read in these scriptures of how they devoted themselves. Simeon was a man who sought after the Holy Spirit. I don't know how many times it mentions it. He, the Holy Spirit was on him. It was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. Moved by the Spirit. Here was a man. Simeon was a man who was moved and heard and sought the Holy Spirit as a friend in his life. He sought him out. The Holy Spirit spoke to him. He knew who the Holy Spirit was. He sought him out in his life. And this was his reward as he got to meet the Messiah. He got to see Jesus face to face. This faithful waiting. He, God, Jesus, the Lord of the entire universe is in your waiting. He is in your waiting place. Wherever you're waiting at right now, whatever situation you're in, whatever circumstances you find yourself in, whatever it is that you're waiting for, that you're longing for, I want you to hear this morning, if you hear nothing else, that God is in your waiting. He's in it. What promises are you barely able to hold on to today? There's some of you in this room and it feels like you're holding on with the smallest thread to a promise that God has given you. And it's like you're afraid, you're thinking, if I let go of this, if, if, I, if I let, if I, oh, I can't keep holding, I can't keep holding on, God. It's like I've been holding for so long, my hand has gone numb. I can't keep holding on anymore. I need you to know this morning that God is in your waiting place. He is right with you in it. He hasn't left you. He's not abandoned you. He is right there with you, just like he was with Anna and Simeon. He's in the waiting place. And in that place, we can choose to lean into him as we wait for the fulfillment of his promises to us. We can be like Simeon if we want to be. We have the Holy Spirit in us and on us. And we can be like him. We can be listening for, we can be watching for the signs of his coming. We can be watching for the signs of his redemption, of his breaking through and into our lives. The Holy Spirit can move us. And as we wait in his presence, just like Simeon and Anna. When was the last time you just sat and watched and waited for the Holy Spirit to move? Simeon spent years watching and waiting for the Holy Spirit to move. God is in that waiting place. That's where he's to be found. The Holy Spirit can come and he can move us and he can move on us and we can see him move on other people and we get to watch and we can devote our lives to his presence, to worship to follow in our God with love and wholehearted devotion. And that's a gift in itself. There's a gift in itself to just live in our lives blown by the Spirit and by the presence of God. And then it's in His grace and mercy that He comes and He fulfills all of His promises to us. I was reminded this morning of Second Peter, verse 3, 8 and 9. And I apologize, I don't have this on the screen, but I'm going to read it to you. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. 
The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The Lord is not slow like we understand slowness. His timing is perfect. It's perfect. And I love that. He is patient with us. He is so patience. How many of us know and experience the patience of God? I feel like I do every single day. And boy, do I need it. Where would you rather wait? Where would you rather wait? Where would you rather wait for what God has for you in your life? Where would you rather wait in the storms of life and the difficulties of life? Where would you rather wait than in his presence? Sitting at his feet, surrounded by his love, his mercy, his grace, and his forgiveness. Basking in his beauty, where would you rather wait for his promised deliverance? There, in his presence, or where? See, once we have experienced the presence of Jesus, there is nowhere else we can run. Once we have experienced his love and his grace in its fullness, once we have even caught a glimpse of it, there is no other place for us to wait. Would you prefer to wait in doubt and despair? Would we prefer to live in a place of disappointment and bitterness? Do you want to set up camp in a valley of pain and lack and anger? As we look around the world, it is sadly full of people waiting in these places when just like Anna and Simeon, they could be waiting in his presence. That's the invitation. And Anna and Simeon represent us, those of us who know God, those who have invited God into our lives, who have heard his voice and have responded. But like them, just like Anna and Simeon, we have choices. We see these few lines about Anna. And what do we learn about her? Well, we learn that Anna was widowed after just seven years of marriage. I did a wee bit of research, and the average age for um, a girl or a woman in Anna's day to be married was the average age was 14. So by the age of 21 or thereabouts, Anna was widowed. That was a hard life. As we read through the Old Testament and you read through this book where God constantly, time and time again, asks, commands, tells his people, what does he tell them to look after? The widows and the orphans. And why do you think he tells them to look after the widows and orphans? Because they are the most vulnerable in society. Anna, as a widow, was one of the most vulnerable in her society. The most vulnerable to poverty, the most vulnerable to exploitation, the most vulnerable in so many ways. And for 73 years, she faithfully worshipped God. 73 years. She remained widowed. And you know, by this stage, you could have, she could have chosen bitterness so many times in her grief. But instead, she committed herself to the temple. She devoted herself to God, fasting, praying, and worshiping day and night. She was known as a prophet, someone who heard from God, who recognized the Holy Spirit of God at work. Now, prophets were very rare at this time, and a woman even more so. But it's no coincidence that she was known as a prophet. 
She spent so much time in the presence of God and devoted to him. You see, she chose a better way. She chose a better way, a way of worship over worry about her future. She chose a better way of devotion to God rather wallowing in the self-pity of her circumstances. She chose a better way to listening to God and looking out for him at work rather than allowing what had happened to her to fill her with despair. She chose a better way. This Advent, choose a better way. For all of us, choose a better way. Whatever your past has been, whatever tragedy, pain, distress, maybe it's grief that might still be raw and suffocating. Your disappointment of what should have been can be completely derailing in your life. But please, this morning and this season of Advent, choose a better way. People might have let you down. They do. And they will continue to. This broken world of sin has thrown its worst, maybe at you, but like Anna, choose God's presence. Whatever circumstances you find yourself in this morning, choose the presence of Jesus. Choose to devote yourself to God. Fast, pray, worship. Choose to watch for the Holy Spirit, to listen to him, to cultivate a friendship with him. Choose a better way. Choose a better way. Anna didn't know who she was waiting for until she saw him. Did you notice that? The Holy Spirit had told Simeon that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Messiah. It doesn't tell us this about Anna. She didn't know who she was waiting for until she saw him, until she laid eyes on Jesus. Do you not just long to see him? Sometimes I just long to see his face. See, Anna knew the Lord. She devoted herself to him. And when her eyes saw the baby Jesus, she knew by the whisper from her friend, the Holy Spirit. I can almost hear him whispering in her ear. He's here. He's here. Do you think that the air bristle in his presence? Did the air change? Did the hairs on the back of her neck stand on end? We don't know any of that. But we know that she knew him when she saw him. There is no precious, a mo more precious a moment for me than when we are in worship or I'm in prayer and all of a sudden the air shifts and changes and you just know that he's here. And we recognize him, don't we? It's like the Holy Spirit comes and he whispers and he says, He's here. He's here. I am so thankful for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I am so thankful for you. That you show us Jesus. That you lead us to him constantly. Verse 38, it says of Anna, Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. And I can picture 84-year-old Anna running around the temple. Well, maybe not running at 84. I'm 46 and I would struggle to run. But anyway, she's going up to all the people, all the faithful worshipers in the temple and saying, I've seen him. I've seen him. 
He's here. He's here. I've seen the Messiah, the tiny baby who has come to redeem us. I wonder if people just shake their heads and dismiss her as an old lady who was doting, as we would say, in Northern Ireland. God's grace and kindness to his faithful friends, Simeon and Anna, could honestly make me weep. How kind and good our father to include these two very ordinary people in the story of a son. Remember, I told you last week, God trusts you. He trusts you. Every one of you, he trusts you. And God trusted these two. Ever try to point something out to your dog? I have a dog. We have a dog. I've now, I've now, I've just decided, I've now become the crazy dog lady now that my children have left home. I don't cry about the empty nest. I just adore Reuben even more. So uh, people have even been pointing out how many photographs I put up of him on social media. Anyway, Reuben is fabulous. But I've sometimes he's a bit stupid, right? So I'll, I'll point something to him and I'll go, go, look, look. But instead of looking whatever it is I'm pointing at, he just looks at my finger. Have you ever done that with a dog? So annoying. <laughs> Especially we have three dogs that regularly taunt the life out of Reuben in our back garden. And I would be pointing out the window, pointing, and he would be looking at my finger and I'm going, stupid dog. And the cats would be gone by the time he would even catch on. But now, he's not totally stupid, he now knows what the word cat means, right? So all you have to do to him is say, where's the cats? And he instantly goes to the window and he knows that the cats will be sitting beside the fish pond, like in their lips. They actually sit at our fish pond and like their lips. It's a true story. But sometimes we can be a wee bit like that when we read the Christmas story. What do people know about Jesus' birth? One of the things is the manger, isn't it? The Christmas crib. It must be the most famous animal feeding trough in all of history, right? You see it on Christmas cards. Um, we know about the animals too, don't we? Not that, that Luke here in his account even mentions any, but the ox and the ass feature prominently in Christmas cards and carols. But you know, there's actually no indication here either that the shepherds brought their own animals with them or that there was any where Mary and Joseph were staying. Have I just ruined Christmas for you that the animals may not actually have been there? Should we tell Cheryl to cancel the animals for the carl service? Actually, could some of you tell Cheryl that we can cancel the animals for the carl service because she'd kill me. She keeps wanting reindeers and everything. Anyway, they're definitely not on the Christmas story. But tradition has this picture of Mary and Joseph knocking at the inn door before being told there's no room and then being offered a place in the stable along with the animals. But I've done a wee bit of research into this as well this week. The word inn can have several meanings in this day, in this time where Jesus was born. It is likely that they were really staying in the ground floor of a house where people normally stayed upstairs. And in this ground floor in the house, very often they would have stored their animals or kept their animals in there too for safety's sake. So the animals would have stayed in there. But it doesn't mean that there was actually any animals there when Jesus was born, but we all like to assume that. And now it's just a slightly bit like a Chinese whispers thing. Now we just fully are convinced that there's all sorts of animals. Who has a nativity scene at home? Yeah, I do. We even have some extra animals. We even have a dog in our nativity scene that the boys added one year and it's still there. So maybe it was Reuben. He was there. Anyway, but there's nothing to say that, right? But 
if we are to concentrate on the manger and all these things, it's to forget why it was mentioned in the first place. It's a wee bit like Reuben looking at my finger while I'm pointing at the cat. Why is the manger mentioned three times in this story? The answer is because the manger was the sign for the shepherds to look for. That's all it was. There's nothing special about the manger. It was purely the sign for the shepherds to look for. It told them which baby they were looking for. Because let's be honest, there wouldn't be that many babies sleeping in mangers, would there? Not normally. That's normally what, what the animals get fed from. The reason it's mentioned is because it's important and given the shepherds their news and their instructions. So why is this significant? It is because the shepherds, they were the ones who were chosen to be told who this child was. This child is the Savior and the Messiah, the Lord. The manger isn't important in itself. It's a signpost. It's no more than a pointing finger to the identity and the task for the baby boy who's lying in it. The shepherds, they were summoned from the fields. They were out in the fields going about their business. And they were brought from the fields to meet with baby Jesus. Incidentally, who does that remind you of? Do you remember the story of David, King David? Before he was anointed, he was out in the fields and he had to be summoned in back into the family home to be anointed king. Just a wee aside there. The shepherds are sent as messengers themselves so that when Mary and Joseph hear it from them, they weren't expecting, Mary and Joseph weren't expecting shepherds to arrive at their door. They were a very unexpected source. I mean, who would trust shepherds with this announcement? Only God. So the fact that these shepherds come, that they're sent from the fields with this incredible story of angels appearing, it was more of a sign and a confirmation for Mary and Joseph that this baby, up until now, that was their secret, that he was, um, his origin was from God, that he was the son of God, right up until then, they were the only ones that knew that until the shepherds burst in found the baby in the manger, the signpost, the manger. And they're like, this is the Messiah. But there is a depth of kindness and love shown to the shepherds in Luke 2 that takes my breath away. See, if Simeon and Anna were insiders in the story of Jesus, then these boys, they're the definite outsiders. They were not devoting themselves to the temple, fasting, prayer, or worship. Their job meant that they were considered unclean. So even if they were practicing Jews, it wouldn't have been easy for them to practice their faith. And yet here they are going about their ordinary everyday lives on a hillside, looking after, protecting their sheep from wild animals and poachers. And all of a sudden the sky lights up and they find themselves enveloped in the sights and sounds of heaven. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine it for one minute? An angel appeared, accompanied with the glory of the Lord, the very presence of God descended to this hilltop and onto the shepherds. And the announcement that they hear first, they are the first humans apart from Mary and Joseph to know about Jesus' birth. And the angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. They left their everyday, ordinary lives in search of a baby in a manger. 
looking for the baby that the angels had told them about. They didn't choose any of this. They didn't, this wasn't because they'd made good choices. They didn't choose a better way. They just chose to go about, they just chose to go about their work, and yet God chose them. I love it. God sent this heavenly host to break into the darkness of the hillside, to break into the mundane, hard life that Shepparton was, and he invited them to be part of the most important moment in the history of the whole world. The moment that Jesus was born, they got to meet the most important person in the entire universe. Sometimes we can look at the lives of our loved ones and friends who don't yet know Jesus and we can feel like they are too outside of God's kingdom, in our opinion. We can look at them and we think, they're just too outside of God's kingdom. I just can't see how they will ever come in. I can't see it. But I want to encourage you this morning that Jesus came into this world for everyone. For the outsiders, for the insiders, for the doubters, for the unconvinced, for those who feel that they have messed up too many times. And what I love most is that God can turn up in their lives just like he did in the shepherds. Pray for a manger for the people you love. Pray for a sign. Would you pray for a sign? Would you pray for a manger for the people that you love, who you long to see God break into their life? A sign that will literally lead them to where Jesus is. A signpost that leaves them without doubt that he is the Messiah, the Lord. Who in your life needs a manger? Who in your life needs a manger? Pray for them. Pray for a sign for them. Pray for a supernatural encounter with God that leaves them in no doubt that he really exists. You can't get much bigger than angels in a dark hillside, can you? Pray for a supernatural encounter. Pray for a supernatural encounter for them, even if it makes them afraid. That's okay. God can handle that. But pray for a manger. Pray for a manger. One of my really good friends, and I might have shared this story before, but I felt prompted to share it again today. One of my really, really good friends, I prayed for for 14 years that she would give her life to Jesus. 14 years of praying and crying and fear. Like one time the Lord gave me a word for her, um, a verse, and I was so afraid to share it with her because she's lovely and I love her so much, but she's a wee bit scary as well, right? So I had to phone her up and give her this, this, this message from God. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I don't want to do this, Jesus. So I phoned and I thought, please let the answer machine kick in. Please let the answer machine kick in because then that's my bit done. The answer just as the answer machine was about to kick in, she answered the phone. Anyway, I give her that word that I had for her and um, turns out it was amazing. Turns out the end of the phone went really quiet. I thought, oh my goodness, she's just gathering wind here just, just to let me have it. She's just about to rip into my big time. And instead she says, our minister talked about that on Sunday. I was like, oh, right, okay. <laughs> what do you think that means? So anyway, she, that was a few years before she finally gave her life to Jesus. But here's how she finally gave her life to Jesus. This is so not the sign and the manger that I'd been praying for. But God knows. 
we were, um, I was at a conference and the last person I expected to see at the conference was my friend. And the last night of it, I saw her in the foyer and honestly, I was just like, she will not be able to handle this. This is like, it was an amazing conference. It was lots of worship. She's from a very traditional background. I thought she won't even be able, she won't like that. And, you know, lots of things were happening. People were being prayed for. There was lots of stuff happening. I thought, she's never going to handle this. God, what are you doing? Why did you bring her here? This is the last place I would have brought her. All that kind of stuff was going through my head. Anyway, in the middle of the, the service, in the middle of the evening, there was this moment where um, the pastor began to uh, pray in tongues, prophesy in tongues, something that I had never heard him do, and I'd known him for a very long time. And then someone got up, and they interpreted the tongues, and that was great. But all the while, all I can think is, of all times for my friend to be in this room, he has to speak in tongues. Oh, my goodness, this is it. Ruined now. This is done. This is it. So that was all right. Um, thankfully, I wasn't sitting beside her because the sweat would have been pouring off me. And then there was this wonderful moment of worship that just happened spontaneously. And everyone just started to sing in the room. There was no music. There wasn't anything. There was just this singing of voices in the room. And at the same time, I heard this note. It's all I can describe. I heard this perfect note move around the room. And I'm busy looking at the stage and thinking, nobody playing instruments, that's weird. I'm looking all around me for what the explanation is for this note. Didn't say anything to anyone. At the end, eventually found my friend, came up to her. And during the worship, I'd said to the Lord, just, Lord, would you just save her? Would this just be the night that she finally gives in to you? And I felt the Lord saying to me this. He says, she's closer to me than you think. I'm right She's so close to me. All she needs to do is turn. That's what he said. All she needs to do is turn to me. So eventually found her at the end. And I came up to her, a wee bit nervous. And I went, well, well, how's that? Did you like it? It's okay. And she goes, did you hear it? First word she said to me. And I said, hear what? She says, I don't mean that tongue thing. She says, we can talk about that later. We can work that out later on. No, I don't mean that. I mean, did you hear that sound? And I went, uh-huh. She goes, it was angels, wasn't it? And I went, yeah, I think it might have been. She goes, was? She's telling me. She's telling me it's angels. She's going, it was, it was. And I goes, ah, it was amazing. She goes, and do you know in that moment, God told me that he's just always been there. He's always been right beside me all the time. And that is just, would I have chosen that manger for my friend? No. <laughs> Would I have, have chosen that supernatural encounter for her in that way? Would I have packaged it like that? Absolutely not. But in that moment, she fully gave herself to Jesus. After 14 years of praying for her, and I got to be in the room. How kind is Jesus? I got to be in the room when she finally did it, when she finally surrendered her life to him. Who in your life needs a manger? Pray for it. Pray for it. Some of us need the truth that he is waiting. He is in our waiting, that he is in our waiting place to settle in our hearts this morning, just like Simeon. Some of us this morning, we need to choose a better way, just like Anna. 
We need to choose a better way, the way of his presence, the way of surrender in our circumstances, the way of seeking him only. We need to choose a better way this morning. And some of us, some of you in this room, you need a manger yourself. You need a sign that leads you to the feet of Jesus. And for the rest of us, we need to be praying for the mangers for our friends and our loved ones. Don't try and tell God how to do his job. Just pray for the encounter. Pray that the person would see the signpost that would lead them right to the feet of Jesus. Let's pray. Let's stand together.